welcome to Revolutionary Women. My name is Tess Silverman. Women around the world are constantly creating ways to make a difference in their communities, and today's guest is no exception. My guest today is Cheryl Thomas. Cheryl is the founding director of Global Rights for Women. Since 1993, Cheryl has worked with partners around the world to promote women's human rights and achieve effective legal reform to end gender-based violence. She has participated in the drafting of new laws on violence against women and girls and trained legal and community professionals to enforce such laws in dozens of countries. She has worked closely with the United Nations to develop model standards on legal reform on gender-based violence. Cheryl has participated in numerous UN expert group meetings on violence against women, including in 2008, when she co-chaired the meeting to draft UN Handbook for Legislation on Violence Against Women. In 2011, she was recognized by Newsweek magazine as one of 150 women who shake the world. In 2021, the National Association of Women Lawyers awarded her Arabella Babb Mansfield Award for her professional achievements for women in the law. Hi, Cheryl. Welcome to Revolutionary Women. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for coming on. Um, so we, I, I have a lot of questions, so let's get started. So I read that you were born in California, but you, you also spent some time in Iowa where your father was a professor. How was that growing up in California as well as, you know, spending time um, in two different states? Yes, well, it was a really interesting childhood experience to grow up in Central California and then move to a small town in Iowa. So I got a very good lens on uh, a, a diversity mm. <laughs> in this uh, town in, in California was quite diverse. And then we moved to Iowa where it was very much dominated by, you know, just a white population and a mm. small town kind mm. of community ethic. Okay. And was it weird for you, like, you know, making friends and, and like, like you said, it was a very diverse population where you lived in California. Um, mm -hmm. And did you feel like, you know, you had to kind of have two different worlds, you know, from one to the other? Yeah, a little bit. You know, I had to figure out as a teenager mm -hmm. how to, which is, you know, difficult anyway, <laughs> to mm. adjust to this transition that we go through in our lives, but then to also figure out how to make myself part of a community that was very, very different from what I had grown up with. So in, in many ways, it was a good experience. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so your first job was working for the Attorney General's office in Minneapolis? Yes. Um, well, actually, it's in St. Paul. Oh, our Saint capital. Paul. Yep. The capital of our state is in St. Paul. So um, I graduated from law school and then went on to work for our attorney general's office here in Minnesota. And what was your role um, working there? There I was practicing civil law. We were representing the agencies of the state when they were sued by individuals or others for negligence primarily. Oh. I represented the Department of Corrections, for example. I had a, some cases where prisoners would sue the state for negligence in the prisons, hmm. lots of cases on the highways, licensing cases for daycare centers, those kinds of lawsuits. Oh, wow. That sounds uh, like a lot of... Uh... I guess it, it it's a lot of 
going back and forth trying to make sure that the paperwork was correct as well as you know like did you have interaction with your with people who were um i guess making these um complaints oh of course yeah okay. the the plaintiffs in the cases would uh be oftentimes we would take their depositions and then mm -hmm. if we went to trial we would have interaction with them there my role was of course to represent the the people of the state of minnesota mm -hmm. and just make sure that cases were settled if if the state had been negligent mm -hmm. and if they had not then make sure that the state's case was presented in a way that was you know, appropriate okay and then from there you worked for a law firm in 1980s um, what was it, what was your role there? In my, the law firm that I worked was here in Minneapolis. It was mm -hmm. a large law firm. And at that time it was called Briggs and Morgan. And since been since renamed, there's a firm that uh, is a national firm that has come in and, and, uh, joined basically, uh, the old firm Briggs and Morgan. And, I was a litigator there also. I did all trial work mm -hmm. and I did both plaintiffs and defense work. And the, the most exciting case I had then was a big environmental lawsuit with ah. plaintiffs who had been, had developed illnesses from contaminated groundwater. Oh, wow. And how, I mean, how was that settled? Uh, we went through trial actually, oh, okay. we put in the plaintiff's case and then uh, the defense, um, settled so oh, okay. yeah okay um so you are uh, so you're you're the executive director of global rights for women um what is global rights for women about and what so, prompted you to create this organization right so our mission at global rights for women is to work with partners both locally and around the world on systemic and legal reform and social change mm -hmm to better address violence against women and girls. I have been working in this field generally on mm -hmm. women's human rights and violence against women since 1993 when I left my law firm. Mm. And what prompted me to start Global Rights for Women was uh, what I feel is a, a real global need to uh, not only draft and pass strong mm -hmm. laws that protect women from domestic violence, sexual assault, other forms of violence, uh, but then actually make sure that legal systems everywhere have the tools and the capacity and the kind of the mindset to enforce those laws so that they really do keep women and girls safer and hold violent offenders accountable. Okay. Um, well, so how do you create change in countries where sexual abuse isn't seen as a crime? You know, we only go at the invitation of local leaders that oh. are committed to advancing women's human rights. Okay. So we take a lot of guidance from mm -hmm. our local partners who know where they need an international expert to come in and bolster their uh, their movement and mm -hmm. their efforts to to make sure that good laws are on the books and that the they're being enforced. Okay. So we. Um, it's it's very different now than when I started this work 30 years ago. There are very sophisticated, knowledgeable women's human rights advocates in every country we work in oh, awesome. that mm -hmm. um, that are sometimes the laws are new mm -hmm. and often the laws are new. I would say most mm -hmm. often the laws are new. But so they would they 
really benefit from and are grateful that um, we can come with experts, for example, in the police response to mm. sexual assault or domestic violence and talk about um, how these leaders in their various roles, mm -hmm. these people who are committed, police prosecutors, judges, to making sure that women have access to justice, we, they can talk about how, how they do that. And mm -hmm. our staff um, has a number of experts, and we also bring consultants along with us when we're doing that work. We have teams right now mm -hmm. in the Republic of Georgia, mm -hmm. and one um, is traveling to Vietnam next week to train wow. prosecutors. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. Oh, my gosh. I mean, that's, that's, I think that's amazing. But, I mean, why do you think it's so difficult or, I guess, previously been so difficult to initiate reform against sexual um, sexual violence? Well, you know, I think there is just a long-standing, uh, just really centuries-old hmm. sense of um, male entitlement to women's bodies. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. we, we do believe that at the root of violence against women and girls is the uh, power and control dynamic that men often um, associate mm -hmm. with kind of their identity and their masculinity. Mm -hmm. So that's, that is an entrenched system that is a global, a global uh, cross-border commonality everywhere we go mm. that um, just really has to be revealed mm -hmm. and named and tackled with uh, with courage and honesty yeah oh my gosh um so i saw this video of you um and you I, i'm quoting you on the video um back in 2016 saying we are on the road to that world free from violence but we have a long way to go you said mm -hmm. this in 2016 has that changed dramatically or you know, we, we, we do still have a long way to go, mm. but since 2016, I feel like um, we've also made a lot of progress. Okay. In this period of time, these, these particular six years, Tess, I feel like there has been some pretty extraordinary backlash yeah. against women's human rights in general yes. and women's human right to be free from violence. Yep. We've seen this in other points in history. There are periods where there's really a lot of movement forward, mm -hmm. but we also see when we're getting close to our goals or closer, closer to our goals, that's uh, when the backlash becomes most intense. Mm -hmm. And those who've had the privilege of power and control and decision-making really hang on to it with just a lot of desperation. And it becomes a you know, much more dangerous world for women and girls and all oppressed peoples. Oh, I'm sure. Um, especially since the pandemic happened, you know, uh, I mean, how much did the pandemic affect women with regards to sexual and domestic violence? Yeah, it, it was a devastating time. Oh. So much violence against women and girls is in private, mm -hmm. in the home, in the home, in the workplace, by people they know behind closed doors. So when we heard that everybody was uh, supposed to go home and mm. stay home, we yeah. knew that would be a terribly dangerous time for women and girls. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, um, I mean, lockdowns were happening everywhere. So, mm -hmm. I mean, you knew that the numbers would go up, right, increase because of isolation and control and all of that. And the avenues, you know, that that women and girls can reach out to separate from 
the violent offenders that are in their private lives, they just weren't open to them. The courts closed, shelters closed. Oh, my gosh. So that those were even just having access to friends and Mm -hmm. family who might be able to help them or shelter them was just um, a huge obstacle during COVID. Wow. Um, So you spoke about toxic masculinity on one of the videos. Has that resurfaced even more so? You know, with the pandemic on and as well as what's going on now with, you know, Roe v. Wade in the States? You know, um, I think, you know, kind of referring back to what I just said, mm-hmm. I, I do I do think that as women and girls make more progress against um, gender-based violence, that there is a uh, real effort to make sure that that progress doesn't go go too quickly by those who prefer to have um power Mm. over women and girls yeah and i do think that's part of what's happening with um, roe versus wade in the supreme court Uh, i do think that's what happened with afghanistan Mm -hmm. you know there's all kinds of examples of it all over uh, the world and and this is you know a um it's a dynamic, as I mentioned before, that just repeats itself historically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, at the same time, I do believe that, that the progress continues to go forward towards, towards a more just and safe, safer world. Yeah. Wow. Um, so when you were, when you decided to create um, Global Rights for Women, did you have an aha moment realizing that, you know what, I need to do something like this? Right. I, I, I created Global Rights for Women along with, I should say, 40 other founders who oh, dedicated okay. their volunteer time and mm-hmm. their money and their uh, connections and resources to making this happen. Because we really did feel like there's a gap mm-hmm. in, in the kind of the level of, of effort that needs to be in place around the world to make sure that there are institutional protections Mm. for women and girls and this power imbalance that is so prevalent around the world and leads to such harm and violence is interrupted, you know, and Mm -hmm. and it's, it's the legal system really that can do that. And we just felt like there was not enough effort being made in that area. So we created global rights for women. Okay. Um, I was looking at, the, I was watching the video um, when you were talking about global rights for women, and I'm, you know, I, I uh, heard this quote from you, um, and you said, I'm quoting you, it's like, we hold tight to our vision that a different world for women and girls, one that raises that voices, one that raises their voices, one where we increase the influence of the feminine will be a safer, more peaceful, more just world for everyone. I love that quote. But, oh, I love that quote too. I said that. <laughs> yes, ma'am, you did. Yes, you did. Um, and I was just like, that is such a beautiful way to, you know, to, to look at um, what could be. And are we getting yeah. close to that? I do think we are more and more every day. I really do. I, you know, I, I, and I believe this, I think, and so 
many ways because of young women. Mm. They, you know, they believe in their the reality that they are fully human. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, mm-hmm. they believe in their equality. Mm-hmm. They demand their equality. Yeah. They are less likely to be discouraged from um, a, any kind of system subjugation. Mm-hmm. And uh, as we were, you know, I, I am now 65 years old and I was socialized to uh, be quiet mm. and not be so much of the decision maker. Now that changed when I got into law school because in your role as a lawyer, you mm-hmm. have to step up and represent your client. Mm-hmm. So um, that that was a transformational period for me. But I think that starts much earlier with girls today, that they're really much more socialized to understand that they deserve full equality in our Mm -hmm. communities. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, so let's go back to your career. Did you experience gender bias when you were um, working in the law firms? Oh, I I experienced gender bias, yes, through my life, Mm -hmm. as I think most women have. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gender bias and discrimination and uh, sexual harassment and sexual violence, yes, yes. So so how... um, Hmm, I guess my next question is, how was it, were you able to bypass all of that and say, okay, I need to get, I need to get out of this and do something for, you know, not just for myself, but for other women? You know, how I did it, I just was motivated by just a real deep, deep passion. Mm. I was, I was angry, honestly, as a young woman, when I began to realize that my experiences or those of my friends and family, I have, you know, so many of my friends and family, female friends and family members had experienced similar things. Oh, and, and it wasn't unique that women all over the world were experiencing this and that right. as a privileged white person uh, with resources and an incredible network of support, mm-hmm. I felt like I could mm-hmm. um, just garner that support, those connections, the resources, the education I'd had. Mm-hmm and uh, be of assistance in creating just more more uh, remedies and solutions and um, you know pathways to safety and equality yeah. for women and girls. That's awesome. So when you've done your work in different countries, have you had um, women especially, like have you had them respond saying thank you for, for what you're doing? Um, or is it mostly through programs and then you'll find out later on that like a law has been implemented and it's been enacted and, mm-hmm. and these women are being protected? You know, it's both things. Uh, we have very close connections with our on-the-ground partners who mm-hmm. are leading their communities, you know, in, in, towards a you know, fairer and safer world for women and girls. We have very close relationships. We have, we all have something kind of deep in our souls mm. um, that we want to achieve. And it really deep friendships develop around that and deep partnerships. That's cool. um, so it's, yeah, we, we have, and we, we just have this reality that um, in Minnesota and the United States, uh, Global Rights for Women, of course, is based in Minnesota and all around the, the, the United States. There's so much um, longer term experience in the communities with um, 
effective legal system intervention. It's it, it, we too in, in our mm-hmm. own communities have a long way to go, but mm-hmm. um, we do get deep expressions of gratitude from our partners to just learn about something like a coordinated community response methodology or the importance of a risk assessment mm-hmm. in a domestic violence case or uh, you know how we do rape kits in sexual mm-hmm. assault cases, what mistakes we've made them with mm-hmm. them, how to make them you know more more effectively used in the justice system. So yeah, we get we get very very frequent expressions of gratitude for our willingness to to share both the successes and the lessons learned Mm -hmm. that we have here. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, So in 2020, you launched a paper on the International Forum titled Time for Action. What is that program about? Oh, yeah. That Time for Action is that we're supporting an international treaty on violence against women and girls. Okay. Um, The group Every Woman Treaty, EWT, is leading that effort, and we have been a partner to them in primarily kind of uh, mapping the international and regional law that exists right now Mm -hmm. on violence against women Mm -hmm. and identifying the gaps in that and working with them to promote a, a global treaty that is very strong to in its aims to end violence against women. Okay. Um, so international, I mean, when you're talking about countries who have had, you know, like, cultural norms of how women are being treated, how do you go get around that? Um, I mean, yes, it's 2022, but I would, I mean, I'm assuming that, you know, there are still parts of the world that treat women as, um, I guess, property. Um, oh, of course, of course, and even, even legally, yes. Right. And so how do you go, how do you get around that with your organization? Well, um, part of what we do is really... Uh, work with the leaders, like I say, in mm-hmm. the community, when they okay. decided that this law uh-huh. is really hard, a law that they have on the books is really harming women, mm-hmm. is contributing to inequality, is contributing to continued violence. Mm-hmm. They are the ones that reach out to us and say, okay, what, what talk to us about how the language of a new law would look, a more mm. equitable law, and yeah. how it would work, okay. and how we would train our community professionals to mm-hmm. enforce that mm-hmm. law. So that 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 is our role. We okay. we we can't do that as an outsider without the leadership and the ownership of the local women's human rights leaders. Okay, I got it. Okay. So can you mention a time when you thought you needed to do something that could affect your life and others? So one time, I can remember many times. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you could give me a few examples. I mean, we have time. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I, you know, the the major one really occurred in the early 90s when Mm -hmm. my awareness became just, um, it, it just really grew to the point where I just couldn't ignore uh, how half the world's population was subjugated. And mm-hmm. I, I looked mm-hmm. at the tools I had and I saw the leadership that we'd had in, in this state, in this country. Mm-hmm. And it, it, in some ways, Tess, it was kind of alarming to me that someone else <laughs> yeah. or some other group hadn't really stepped up before before um, our our group of of people did in this community mm-hmm. uh, it was such a glaring gap that uh-huh. i couldn't look away right well cheryl why do you think that was 
I mean, was it just the times? Was it just, you know, like a combination? I think it was a combination. It's, it's a, you know, a coming together of a lot of things, being raised as a social justice advocate in mm-hmm. my family, mm-hmm. just really my, in my family, success was defined by how you, you know, improved the world for humanity mm. and, you know, really, um, assisted and, um, uh, lifted up those who were suffering and subjugated. That's that was the awesome. definition of success in my family. It wasn't, you know, yeah. a, t- a title or money. Uh-huh. That that was a huge part of it. And as I realized, I had a real unique position as a lawyer, mm-hmm. um, as a woman, mm-hmm. as somebody that was connected in the community uh, mm-hmm. that I could I could uh, gather a group of people and create uh, just momentum for mm. global change, I had to do it. I, yeah. I knew that I could. Right. I love that. But and were your parents social advocates as well? Yeah, yeah. They were, they were both teachers, oh, um, okay. uh-huh. but they were very involved in many social justice movements. That's amazing. So it stems from them for sure. And, I think and, so. Yeah. Wow. We were also, you know, we were raised as kind of, I don't know, global citizens. You know, mm. we didn't have a kind of a uh, geographic morality. <laughs> there, mm-hmm. We were limited by that. We really did connect. We did really saw a connection uh, between, you know, c- cross borders, all mm-hmm. of humanity. There wasn't, you know, something more, um, something better about working for someone, you know, six blocks away than there was, you know, Mm. Uh, 6,000 right. miles away. <laughs> huh. Well, Cheryl, were you, um, growing up, did you see, you know, things that you, for you um, said, okay, this wasn't right? And is that how you became, like, passionate about um, global rights? Yeah, I, I would say you know, that, that was just pointed out to me uh, time and time again throughout my you know, develop my developing years mm. when somebody was suffering, when there was a st- systemic issue of racism was a one my my family was focused on mm-hmm. um, immigrants and how they suffered. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, I was fortunate in my own family not to experience um, you know violence mm-hmm. in my nuclear family mm-hmm. and. Uh, but, you know, there were, I remember my mother talking about the first women's shelter developing in Iowa and mm. women's right to choose. She was a supporter of Planned Parenthood. So, you know, all those things made a difference. Wow. Okay. So would it be fair to say that you would give them credit for where you are now? Absolutely. <laughs> and, and can you think of others that you would give credit to for where you are now? Yeah. Oh, so many people mm. that that, that um, <clears throat> just were role models, you know, in standing up for uh, justice and equality and fairness and and systemic change. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a, I had professors in college that were uh, that taught me about not only the academic parts of that. I was a history professor and a and a French <laughs> minor. I, I was a history major. I'm sorry, and mm-hmm. a, a French minor. Oh, okay. And so again, just the. Um, and I, I remember two professors in particular that uh, were very focused on the social justice uh, dynamics of the history we were studying. Mm. Um, 
professors in law school that taught law in a way that communicated that the law should be about justice and fairness and mm. equality and and above all protect the person who was the most marginalized wow okay oh, that must have been amazing um, those are amazing those sound like amazing professors yeah of course they're, they're there i think for everybody if you're looking for them mm. yeah that's for sure oh okay um so can you is there okay so do you, as uh, with Global Rights for Women, um, it's still going on. So do you have anything else you'd like to do that you haven't yet done? Well, we'd love to see this uh, this global treaty mm -hmm. be passed um, and, and start to be enforced. I'd love to see that happen in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. And honestly, every every partner that we work with, whether it's here in Minnesota, or it's in the Republic of Georgia, or Vietnam, where we'll be next week. Mm -hmm. Each one of those um, those initiatives we take on with our partners there feels like uh, one more step mm. and step forward. And I, yeah. I, I, my my vision for the, for the rest of my life is just to keep moving forward with each step, and that's how you have to kind of look at systemic change. It's It just is a long, long series of small things happening that ultimately transform mm -hmm. much bigger things. And um, is something, uh, what, what would you be, what would your goals be for Global Rights for Women? Is it just to keep- I'm sorry, I missed that last question. Oh, I said, what are your goals for Global Rights for Women? I would, we'd love to be able to uh, reach farther, uh, reach more of the people that are the leaders, women's human rights leaders around the world that need assistance mm -hmm. with better laws, stronger laws, enforcement of laws, so that they really um, lift lift up women and children mm -hmm. in in gender-based violence. We just want it. We want our uh, our um, tools and our expertise to be used in the way that uh, can really be the most beneficial to the most people. Mm, I love that. Uh, so we're talking about different countries. Um, do you have people in the Ukraine who are doing work there as well with everything going we, on there? You know what? We have not traveled to the country of Ukraine. Uh, we know many women there who are working on ending violence against women mm. uh, when it was a uh, quote unquote peacetime. Yeah. Um, we have a, and we also, we have a long term partnership with leaders in Moldova, mm. which is a neighboring country and is, has many, many ties, of course, to Ukraine and mm -hmm. has accepted many, many refugees and, and all the countries around right. that region. Uh, yeah. We remain, we remain in touch with the human rights leaders there and it's a really devastating situation. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I don't know if it's going to get any better at the moment, but I mean, I'm, I can't even imagine like how that, you know, combined with a war, there, like how these women are uh, being used, you know, and yeah. I hate that term, but it is. Um, yeah, it's true. It's true. We, you see, um, th thank goodness, there is awareness growing in news reporting about how during times of chaos, whether mm -hmm. it's a 
natural disaster or whether it's war, mm -hmm. um, women and girls are the, their vulnerability to violence and rape and sexual assault and trafficking, trafficking just skyrockets. Yeah. We know that's happening. Mm -hmm. um, we were more prepared for it during this war than we've been in other wars, just because we continue to move forward and learn. Yeah. So I know that um, they're already gathering evidence of to prosecute rapists and traffickers. Oh, wow. So that's... Um, it's it's devastating, but yeah. um, there's an accountability focus there that I'm grateful for. Oh, yeah, I uh, I am too. Um, especially since I'm I'm constantly like hearing more news or or seeing more news about you know what the situation is there, and not so much the the situation, but the the plight of these women and girls. Um, you know, and it's yeah. not, it's not getting any better. And no, there's, no. There, there's something that we can do that would be amazing. Um, well, yeah, I'm thank sorry. goodness. I mean, we, we are developing a better understanding of how how much more vulnerable mm -hmm. the vulnerable become, become during a crisis. Mm -hmm. Well, have you felt that with other um, countries who've been at war, like Afghanistan? Or, yes. Okay. Yes, of course. Yeah, and has it, and has it gotten? Has it been the same in terms of how they've been treating the women there, or is it similar, or is it just worse this time, because we know more about it? You know, Afghanistan is a particularly brutal uh, mm. situation for women and girls. Uh, th there were, you know, there when the Taliban was in uh, in power. Mm -hmm. Of course, it was a deadly. Yes. Deadly, violent, uh, discriminatory situation for women and girls. Yep. We had hope, you know, that that, that would be better. Mm -hmm. um, of course, now we know that all the promises that the yeah. resurgence with the Taliban, when, when they came back in August mm -hmm. of 2021 and mm -hmm. made all these promises that yep. it would be different, it's not different. Yeah. It's gone backwards. Now. Yeah, it's gone yep. backwards. Yeah, yes. And women are really, you know, Afghanistan has a population of, I think, about 40 million. That, that's 20 million about women and girls. And mm. they're really enslaved in their homes right now. And that's, it's very discouraged to me that, me, to me that that's not headline news anymore. Mm -hmm. Yep. And yes, you're right. And you can only find snippets of that if you actually look. And it's only if you look, yeah. only if you look. It's just completely, and we, we've just turned our heads away from the women and girls in Afghanistan, mm. and they are being enslaved and brutalized. Oh, my gosh. Ooh, I hope that, you know, something changes. I mean, it would be amazing yeah. if they did, but, you know, one can only hope. It has to. It yeah. has to. We can't go on like this. You know, right. we, ha we have to. It, it, to. For the health and productivity of our world and our yeah. kids' future, we have to change it. Yeah. And and I think that's a huge, huge issue, you know, when it comes to women's rights and human rights. Um, you know, it, it, it's mind-boggling to me that we are still doing this, <laughs> that we are still fighting for it, and like you said, it's a huge systemic issue that's been going on for centuries. So right. it's going to take a long time before we can, you know, little strides, but make it hopefully bigger strides later. So, right, uh, right, and, and seize the opportunities when they're there, and yeah. continue to 
um, encourage more and more women in leadership positions and positions of power and mm -hmm. you know get get a balance back yeah. in our in our global community yes i so agree um okay so if anyone wanted to know if anyone wanted to know more about global rights for women how would they go about it oh thank you for that question we, we can go to our website www.globalrightsforwomen.org and there's a place where you can sign up for our newsletter we just sent one out yesterday um that in, in in the newsletter are a lot of announcements of opportunities for example we have a valiant voices series where mm -hmm. we feature leaders in the women's human rights movement and violence against women movement for discussions about their expertise and knowledge and ideas for solutions. We have our next Valiant Voices on June 9th, mm. and that one is entitled um, Can Men Change? Oh. And we'll be talking about uh, our programs that uh, we have for men who have been convicted of domestic violence mm. and what we've learned about the, the process of changing thinking about women that can lead to ending the violence. Wow, that sounds amazing. Okay, well, thank yeah. you for that. Um, and is there anything else you'd like to say to the listeners? I just want to say thank you for caring about this issue and uh, please uh, do join us in mm. our efforts. It's we're all connected globally. We're not we're not isolated in our own communities. And the more uh, we all realize that and that we can act and, and achieve change only together can yeah. we do it. Yeah. So join in, I would say. Okay, thank you. And if you had one thing to change that you wish you had done years ago, what would it be? Hmm. Um, figure out how to raise more money. All <laughs> 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 well, just takes money and there's just never enough money mm. for, you know, to to do what needs to be do, yeah. done. Yeah. To end subjugation. <laughs> mm. Create so more. That, that's you know I, I'm a lawyer, I'm a human rights lawyer, uh -huh. and that's that's a piece that is always a challenge. Mm. The, the funding for our work. So donate too if you can. <laughs> okay. Has that always been a problem though? Always. Like, always. Really. Yeah, the, the funding that goes for women's human rights globally is just minuscule compared to you know other efforts. So why do you well. Why do you think that is? I don't, I just think there's still so much um, uh, lack of knowledge mm. about the reality of women's lives mm -hmm. and um, the damages it causes everybody. Mm. Okay. Okay. And my last question is, if you could go back in time, what would you tell your younger self? I would tell my younger self to have courage and um don't be discouraged mm. when something uh you know just feels insurmountable there have been times when i have felt that way and um that would have been a nice message to carry with me mm. from wow. my older self <laughs> as mm. a younger woman <laughs> wow okay Cheryl, oh my gosh, thank you for this conversation and thank you for coming on. I love what Global Rights for Women is doing for Minneapolis as well as for the world. And, and I really hope we get some, some semblance of, of change, like one day radical change throughout, you know, 
like different countries about the roles of women, um, especially with regards to women and children. Um, and I just love what you're doing, and thank you for for um, sharing your story and oh, for welcome. you know sharing your passion and and the work that you're doing for women and children is amazing. So I, I you know, good luck to you and and to thank the, you. Yeah, yeah, to the programs that you're initiating and and still going through and you know i please keep me updated i would love to like know more about it um and you know if you have any other questions please go to www.globalrightsforwomen.org is that right that's right okay great okay well and with that i will um say thank you and and have a good day thank you so much tess you have a good day, too, Thank to all your you. listeners. Thank okay. you. That's our show for today. I've posted more information about Cheryl Thomas on RevWoman.com. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll tune in every Thursday for another episode of Revolutionary Woman. You can listen to Revolutionary Woman on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Just a little note. I've launched a Patreon account to support the show. All proceeds will go to producing and editing the episodes to give my poor husband a break for being my personal IT and production department. He wrote this. The address is patreon.com slash revwoman. <laughs>